It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is Beyond the Big Screen Podcast with your host, Steve Guerra. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Jenna Ricker and Greg Stewart of the 2016 film The American Side. Jenna Ricker is the director and co-writer with Greg Stewart. Stewart, who is also the star as the lead Charlie Pazinski. The movie set in Buffalo, New York. You could say Buffalo is even more than just a setting. It's a supporting character. Uh, Jenna and Greg, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourselves and maybe uh, what connected you to make this film in Buffalo? Right. <laughs> Look at us being so, uh, so complimentary to each other. Well, you're the director. You kick it off. Um, okay, so I grew up in Southern California, and I grew up loving films and um, really thought I might be an actress for a long time and came out to New York City to study acting at NYU. Uh, but while I was there, loved being a part of the whole process, the set and the writing and the costumes. And um, so I quickly worked out that I might be more of a director or at least more driven to be a director than the drive it takes to be an actor. Uh, and I have nothing but admiration for actors and, and the drive that it takes. So, um, so I started shifting gears and focusing on my writing and directing um, some theater, but also getting some chops and some films and working on sets. And that's, I made my first film in 2005, and um, kept going from there. And that first film, the work I did on that and some theater stuff that I was involved in is How I Met Greg. And we shared a very similar taste in films and love of films. And then I'll toss it over to you, Greg, and you can tell how we started working together. Yeah, well, the, you know, when we first met, I think you were, 
you were right in the midst of, were you right in the midst of shooting your first film? Was that? Oh yeah, right. When we first met, we met in the theater and I was just yeah. going to pre-production for my film. Yeah. I was, I remember uh, being very, very impressed with that, that Jenna was, you know, actually making a film. There's so many people out there who want to make films, who uh, flirt with making films, but she was making it and she was taking it upon herself to make it because she was, you know, producing it. She was, she wrote it. She uh, was directing it obviously. And uh, she was using her connections to, to cast it. And uh, it was just very, my apartment was the main set. But I was just really impressed with that because um, film, I was making my living um, as a theater actor, uh, which is still pretty much how I survive. But I'd always wanted to get into film, and I, I I thought that I naturally would, that it would just start happening, and it really wasn't happening. And then, of course, the, the there's so many options now for independent filmmakers, um, and there certainly was starting to happen at that time that I thought, wow, I, I really just need to have the the drive to, to write something and make something. So that's why I was really impressed with Jenna. And then to top it off, when we started hanging out, we discovered we both could sort of passionately talk about films and show each other films that maybe one or the other hadn't seen. And we, we found we had very similar taste um, for the most part. <laughs> and probably where we don't have the same taste, it's probably just enough to keep the other one, you know, semi-honest. Um, What's that movie of yours that we won't no, talk about? No, we're not going to talk about it. That's what I giggled about, but we're not talking about it. Yeah, we, we each have a list of films that maybe we won't, we won't want to say that we love. Um, but we do, but we do, <laughs> we do share a lot of um, a similar taste. And, and so as far as the American side goes, it was just something, it was an idea that I'd been kicking around. And Jetta and I had decided to write a script um, based on an idea of hers. And we wrote that script together and it got into, you know, the first draft of it somehow got into this independent film market in New York where you get to sit with producers and kind of pitch your film. And, but it gets, you know, the script gets vetted and you have all these people looking at it and they say, oh, this is good enough to get in here. And they set up these meetings for you. But we, of course, went back and looked at that script and we're like, wow, I can't believe that got in. Yikes. Um, uh, and we went in taking those meetings. We we ended up, you know, being asked, of course, as you often are, what else do you have? And because I'd been kicking around this idea, um, just kind of on the spur of the moment, started pitching the American side because it's a little more commercial, maybe than uh, than our other project at the time. Um, and the story itself, you know, having grown up in the Buffalo area, I loved this city. I, I've always been a fan of mystery and film noir and um, conspiracy theory films from the 70s. And I, I always felt like a story like that could be told and could be made on a, on a relatively low budget in a place like Buffalo, because I think that's one of the few places because of its kind of throwback feel and vibe. And as you talked about Buffalo being a character in the film, which Jenna does such a remarkable job of capturing, um, Buffalo just felt like a great place to, to set a story like that. So that's, you know, basically uh, part of the, part of the discussions Den and I had very early on um, as the story developed. One of the things that I loved the most about this movie is that it was, it doesn't easily fit in any genre. It's a crime noir. It has a science fiction element, but it's also fit into it's, placed in the modern day. Where did this idea come from? I'm fascinated to know where this idea was uh, originated and what the genesis of it was. Greg? 
<laughs> um, well, you know, it's interesting. Part of the um, challenge in the low budget world, I mean, it was never, I don't think it was ever a consideration for us to make it any kind of period piece, even though we wanted film noir and, as I said, conspiracy films from the 70s and even Hitchcock to sort of resonate um, throughout the story. Um, so, you know, it was always going to be contemporary setting, but because it's a detective story and kind of old fashioned in that sense, we also wanted, first of all, to believe in a private detective character in, you know, 2015 or 16, you, you do have to set it in a place where you can buy into a character living a little bit off the grid, working out of the the back room of a bar using, um, you know, public phones and things like that. So uh, that all sort of fit into this idea of this timeless quality. And it just, for us, it just added a layer to the, the depth of the story, given that it's about Tesla, who sort of definitive autobiography on Tesla is called Man Out of Time. And, and then we've got this main character of Charlie Pusinski, who's this detective who's kind of out of time. You know, one's kind of forward thinking, the other one's a little backward thinking. But the two of them, in a way, come together in this world. And Buffalo certainly feels like a place where you can imagine that that might happen. Well, and also along those lines, I think one of the key reasons that, you know, the, the Tesla element even exists and then so much of the story is born out of that is because, you know, in wanting to tell a story back in his hometown of Buffalo, Greg, you went down that rabbit hole of like, what, what were some of the things that were happening here? What, how could a story really connect? And that's when you found all this Tesla right. lore. And then for us, it became, for me being introduced to Buffalo, this is my introduction to Buffalo is this story. And, um, you know, to, to go through the historical stuff of the time he spent there and, you know, electrifying the city with the power of Niagara Falls, it, it it just seemed like it was a perfect story that could only be told there. And that was such an important facet for us going out with the film, too. You know, oftentimes you you out for investment and people say, oh, yeah, great, 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 great story. Love that it's set in New York. We can shoot it in Toronto for a lot less. And in, in Toronto never looks like New York City. <laughs> you know, you always know you're not in that place. So for us, it was it was great that, you know, you have the American side, you have Niagara Falls. It's very hard to take that somewhere else and um, try to sell something else as Niagara Falls. So, um, but the, the Tesla element and he, his history re- really being tied to the city and then having a Charlie Pazinski, it just really fit the, the genres we were interested in playing with. It fit this out of time element that Greg spoke of. And, um, and I think that's where the idea it originated from Greg. And then when I came on board too, I think he, he was really generous about letting me have some, ideas come in around, you know, locations and characters, but it, it really began with him and it was so much fun. It was, I was so lucky that he let me become a part of it. Well, I, uh, um, I don't want to get into like a mutual admiration society, but I feel very lucky. I don't, I don't think the, the <laughs> film gets made without Jenna and I don't think, well, I know it doesn't get made without Jenna and I don't think it, it looks nearly as rich as it does. And, and I think a, a big part of that, of that, 70s conspiracy theory film um, element came from the work Jenna did, our proof of concept uh, trailer that we shot up there prior to raising the money f- for the film. So that that actually informed the script in a lot of ways, um, just 
you know, Jenna's eye in, in shooting that proof of concept, because a lot of those shots weren't necessarily part of the, the text. They became part of the text when kind of a backwards way of doing things, but they became, we figured out ways to make them part of the text because they were so visually arresting and helped tell the story in such a great way um, that we wanted to incorporate them into the film. And those were just, you know, driving around the city going, wow, how can we use the break wall? Cause it's, it's got film noir written all over it. How do we figure out a way to use that, you know, and lots of locations like that. With the location, I mean, this is a hard boiled detective story and you name it specifically the American side. And I would say for most tourists, if you look at the American side of the falls, it's definitely a lot less glitzy than the Canadian side, which is much more touristy. And I mean, in many, in some cases, a little nicer. Did that play at all into the whole uh, feeling you were going for the movie? Uh well, I know that, so when Greg first said to me, oh, I've been kicking around this idea, it's called the American side. And I said, I don't even know what that means, but I love it. <laughs> like I, I was not familiar with the Canadian side or the American side of Niagara Falls um, in any way. And then he said, well, do you know what it means? And I said, nope. Uh, and then he explained, you know, the American side, um, the, you know, the division between the two. But one of the key elements was that the American side is, of all the lore around the falls, uh, much to, much to do with the daredevils and the people who've gone over Niagara Falls, no one's ever survived the American side. No one's ever gone over that side and survived because it's rocky and it's dangerous and it's much more ethereal in that way, I guess, or visceral in that way. And uh, I still hadn't been to Niagara Falls at that point. And so I thought that was really an element that was powerful just in the description. And then when I got to the falls, um, I mean, I do, I understand certainly there's the, the more touristy side and Canada's really capitalized on that. Um, but the park of Niagara Falls park is beautiful, but the power of the falls, I think for me, at least I've really felt on the, on the American side, you've got this beautiful, wash of the Canadian horseshoe and it is majestic. It's beautiful. But when you come underneath at the crow's nest and you're standing underneath at the crow's nest on the American side, you really do, I think, get a sense of how powerful, how big, how momentous this is that you don't get when you're standing up at the top at prospect point. You're like, wow, look at all that water. It's so pretty going over the falls, you know, going over the edge. And then you come underneath it and you're like, oh my God, you know, we're at, we're at nature's mercy here. And I think that that was one of the things about it that was really uh, connected to the story about a guy who's uh, a bit of an outsider. And one of the tropes, of course, of noir and conspiracy theory is that so it's a guy, average Joe guy, who is in a heap of trouble. He's in something much bigger than him. And what's bigger than Niagara Falls, you know? So it just felt like such an immediate connection in that way, too. The cast of the movie, it really fits together perfectly, I think. Like, all the characters, really, they gel together. I mean, obviously, you, Greg, you're the uh, star of the movie, 
But tell us a little bit more about the cast and the casting decisions. You have big names like Robert. Yes, I'm, I'm the, I'm the lead Robert actor Forrest. in the movie. I'm hardly the star of the movie. We've got some bigger stars. But, <laughs> but yeah, we got very lucky with our casting. And um, we did an awful lot of research on actors we thought would be game for an independent film. Um, you know, Jenna wrote terrific uh, letters uh, to each of the actors that we wanted to approach. And, you know, what's really significant is we didn't get, other than and then a, a, a couple of the actors, most of the actors we didn't get an opportunity to spend time with before they shot. So, again, that's a big credit to, to Jenna. First of all, that they felt comfortable enough looking at her first film and talking with her on the phone and, and reading her letter to to say yes to something like this. You've got a completely unknown lead actor. You've got a completely unknown director, unknown writers. And for some of these actors to say, yeah, I'm game for this um, is a big deal. So we got very lucky in that sense. But as I say, we did a lot of research on who we thought would be game for something like this and, you know, kind of throw them into that situation where you don't have a ton of time. You have to be ready to go. Your first day on the set, you've got to be ready to go. The film was shot in 23 days. There's different locations every day. So all these actors were such gamers and so willing to jump in part of it, you know, Jen and I spent a lot of time talking about this was offering actors opportunities to do things they don't normally get to do, you know, offering, uh, hopefully the script itself, just the genre, but actually I like what you said that that is kind of a combination of genres, which I think is true, um, was sort of unique for them and hopefully held some appeal. Jenna, can you speak to some of that? Well, no, I, yes, I can a little bit, but it's really just piggybacking because I do think we were very specific about who we wanted to go to and did a lot of research. Like Greg said, who are the people who will be game? They're not coming for the money. They're not coming for the director. So they have to be coming for the script first and foremost. And I think that that, was one of the things, uh, and because they love to work and because they see something and what we're trying to do here. And so I think that was one of the great things that happened during the development stage and pre-production when you got phone calls saying, yep, they're in. Yes, they said yes. Yes, they're going to, you know, Robert Vaughn will be in the film. And you, you just kept pinching. I feel like we just kept pinching ourselves that people were saying, this great cast was saying, yes, these actors were going to come up in their summertime for a week or two weeks or four days or whatever their schedule was, they were going to come up and shoot this film. And like Greg said, many of them I was meeting with the day we were shooting. I think I had lunch with the wonderful, amazing, talented Harris Eulen the day, you know, before we shot. I had lunch with him, sorry, the day of the shot with Charlie and, and Soburn at the Falls. We had lunch and then we went and shot, and that's when I met him. And it, it, it was tremendous, you know, to, to get to work with these actors and have them place their trust in me, but also be willing to move it, a, move it a clip. We were set. The crew was amazing. There were such a phenomenal group of talented, savvy uh, folks. And that made a big difference that so we were able to make our days because of that. But it's a lot to ask an actor to do come do these lines at the, you know, you're on the edge of the falls, talk to each other, <laughs> go, you know, it's, it's a lot. And, um, and every one of them just gave us their best and were such a joy to work with and exceeded all expectations in the casting. You know, you think you, you've really done a great job casting and then they are exceeding your expectations and, 
having a good time doing it, which always makes me feel good as a director. And um, one of the aces in the hole I think we had, though, and is really important to know is that Greg was our Charlie Pazinski, and in him, there was this ability to travel into these different worlds. We don't have a relationship with him on screen previous, you know, and I think... I think subconsciously as moviegoers, when we see George Clooney in peril, we kind of know he's going to be okay, so we relax just a little bit. Well, we don't know Greg Stewart, and this, we don't know this Charlie Pazinski character, so it adds a level of what's going to happen, what's going on, because he opens the door to somebody we do have a cinematic relationship with, and it kind of keeps us off kilter enough to both pay attention and invest in the plot, but also be concerned for his well-being because he actually is the one we don't know will survive. So, Jenna, and what you're saying is my lack of fame really paid off. It did. That's exactly what I'm saying, Greg. Your lack of fame <laughs> my, my was the best. My ability to fly under the radar. It was one of the best things we had. No, it, but, but truly, he's so great on screen. He's so very much Charlie Pazinski. Uh, you know, and then for me as a director having somebody who knew the script so well be on screen, you know, he's on set every single day in all of these scenes and a super dense by nature kind of plot. And so to have Greg also be the, you know, writer with me, it just made it, it also helped make us make it possible to do 23 days. There's a practical, I mean, there's a lot that, that, I mean, Jenna brings up a good point because there's a, there's a practical side of, the casting that I, I don't think should be lost, as, especially as far as attracting some of the actors we did. Given that, you know, my character was in every scene and as is, you know, par for the genre, constantly opening doors to new and interesting other characters, it allowed us to sort of structure the schedule for bringing them, them, in, them in in such a way that meant we can grab Matthew for three days here and, and, and shoot, you know, a bunch of his stuff. We can grab, you know, Robert Vaughn for a day. We can grab. So you're not asking these actors um, who have lots of other things going on to commit to a month or for us to be able to pay them for a month on days they're not shooting. So like I said, there's a practical side of that that actually really helped us, um, you know, kind of secure getting everyone's schedule to fall into place together, um, even beyond them just being willing to do it, you still have to get them to, to, to get, get their, their schedules to work out to make, to make it all happen in, in three weeks. And now, a brief word from our sponsors. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Charlie Pazinski is somebody who's so typical of Buffalo of, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Did you have somebody in mind or an archetype in mind when you created that character? Was there somebody who really inspired you for that? Not really. There was no one specific. I mean, I suppose he's he's a combination of of people, not even so much people that I I knew, but people I've maybe heard, you know, um, or or just observed. Um, and I mean, he's he's a, a fictional creation, so he's got a little bit of other film characters in him, of course, you know, especially because the film is so full of these kind of Easter eggs and homages to other films. Um, I think the character, you know maybe came even more out of that um, and just seemed like a perfect fit for Buffalo um, as much as, you know, any specific person I, I knew or was aware of in Buffalo. Yeah. But uh, I will say two quick things on that. I mean, it is, there's definitely an archetype to the noir, you know, gumshoe, hard boiled detective. Um, but one of the fun things for that character and having him, you know, be this guy off the radar knows, knows his business through his local bar and that kind of stuff is that he gets to say the things in these environments that we kind of wish we could say. <laughs> and so it just makes it that much more fun to watch him like stick it to one of the other characters. But I, when working with Greg, he would always come up often with like really great character names, really great ones. And I'd be like, Oh, it's such a great name. Yeah. Let's call him Stickney. That's great. And then I started going to Buffalo, you know, in in the development of this project and falling in love with Buffalo. And I would be at this restaurant and somebody would walk in that Greg would know and he'd be like, hey, Mr. Stickney. And all of a sudden I started realizing some of these <laughs> names that Greg had, some of these great character names were these names of people he knew growing up or maybe a, a, an ex-Bill or an ex-Saber or something. <laughs> I just was like, oh, I'm starting to pick up a little bit on. <laughs> well, you want you can't make up names that, uh, that seem to fit in Western New York. You just have to go right to the source. They're great. This movie was really full of setting and set. For example, right in the opening scene, Charlie Gregg is playing a Niagara Devil, Daredevil pinball machine. And there was just a lot of props throughout the whole movie. And Matthew Broderick's character, Borden Chase, his room was, his office was just loaded with Tesla paraphernalia. Where did you get those props from? Um, Well, we had the best, the greatest, production designer ever and a phenomenal uh, art director as well. And uh, Debbie Davila was our production designer and Sam Wixon, what Max Wixom, sorry, was our um, uh, art director. And they scoured the city of Buffalo truly and were able to use so many things that they found at flea markets, antique stores, art galleries. Um, oftentimes they would take from one location, borrow from one location and put it in another. 
so, you know, as Greg mentioned, we had a different location every day and we were shooting in some of the most beautiful places and dangerous places um, in, in Buffalo, Niagara Falls. And that's a lot for a production designer because, you know, they have to set up everything that's going to be in, in Matthew Broderick's mansion. You know, everything has to be at the Butler mansion the night before and ready to go. And while we're shooting, they have to be at the location the next, that's for the next day setting that one up. I mean, it's really hats off to them because they were just tremendous and so good at what they did. But one of the wonderful things um, about just talking about Borden Chase's place um, is that some of the artwork was, all the artwork was local artists that she found who just happened to have some watercolor and motify things that felt like Niagara Falls or felt like energy related. Um, <clears throat> we had a wonderful carpenter, um, Greg, there was his name just escaped. Oh, David King. David sure. King, who, um, who, you know, Who's built based a, in Buffalo and is yeah. a big theater designer up in Buffalo. Yeah. Everybody was, was up there from that department. Really. Um, he built the tabletop that covers, Borden Chase's desk and there's a whole scenario with an axe that played into that and he built the axe and he just it was just so many amazing things like that but we would be in a location and uh, Debbie would be looking around the location but she would also I didn't realize at first she would be shopping at the location so I remember we were at the basement of um, the cathedral that we use the church that we use rather and then when we were in Charlie's office, there's the sofa in the office. And I looked at the sofa and I said, haven't I seen that? And she goes, yeah, that was in the basement of the church. <laughs> I was like, what? And she would just steal and borrow from, well, not steal, sorry, borrow from all these other locations, you know, for other locations she was thinking of. She was always thinking about the entire film all the time. And I was so lucky to have her and that kind of uh, creative talent. Um, and then... Uh, just along those lines, you know, the access that was given to us in these locations was, you know, she kept saying, I can't believe I get to shoot here. I can't believe I get to production design this. In some, in some cases, didn't have to do very much. But, you know, the workshop, she built that entire space. And that was, the, that was in one of the rooms at the um, Buffalo Club. And she created this entire workshop and... The barrel was something that Greg's father had originally had from his welding days, and the pinball machine was belonged to one of the actors in the film. And Debbie got with the designer and recreated this Niagara Falls pinball machine that was in the script that didn't exist in real life. And so, David Fix, a fellow who works on pinball machines up there, he got the he got them this old beat up machine working, and then and Debbie made it into a daredevil pinball machine. So. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so the props were super important to the story and, and very much connected to all the different elements to the mystery. But we really had an amazing team of people. And who, everybody, really, everybody pitching in in different ways. And Jenna mentioned, I mean, that pinball machine was in in the garage of Norm Sham, uh, who is an actor who plays, a very good friend of mine, the actor who plays um, the police detective McGuire in the film. Um, so everybody kind of, it was a kind of all hands on deck. What do you have? How can we pitch in? We're trying to find a pinball machine and have one of the actors call and say, yeah, I got a pinball machine. Uh, you can do what you want with it. So it, amazing that, uh, you know, it went from this beat up pinball machine in his garage to like this key part of, of the film, thanks to Debbie and 
Max and David King and, and David Fix, you know? So there's so many, so many things like that where there's people contributing in so many different ways to make things look and feel exactly the way they need to look and feel. One of the great scenes that must have played into that was at the grain silos, these really tall, for people who don't know what grain silos are, I don't know how common that is, but they're maybe two, three hundred foot tall cylinders. And in that scene, Charlie and the FBI agent played by Janine Garofalo are attacked in a North by Northwest style by a drone. Where did that scene come from? Um, I don't know what this North by Northwest movie you talk about. I don't <laughs> I know where it came from. It came from North by Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, well, one, one, obviously, there's the, the lovely homage um, that happened there. But Tesla, it's very much connected to Tesla, who created the remote control and is, you know, is responsible for that and was very much um, dealt with technologies around drone and, uh, you know, non-human operated war machines basically um and so so that was a nod that was a, a kind of a triple nod maybe i guess um and uh and then of course we we couldn't give up the opportunity to have a north by northwest in that moment with the drone it just seemed to make sense uh but it was more remarkable that we actually pulled it off i think um you know, shooting at the at Silo City in the Grain Elevators there was uh, one of the most hectic, biggest days of our shoot, for sure. But also one of the key elements from our script in the beginning. And it was it, the guys there, uh, Rick Smith and um, uh, Swanee Jim. They, these guys just for the couple of years it took us from concept to actually being there on production were always so supportive and keen on letting us, giving us access and helping us make it happen. And uh, it was great. And then the guy who flew the plane, the model airplane, was one of those, like Greg mentioned in the, in the previous question, it was, it was one of those moments that came together because our props master said that he saw a sign for a model airplane show and maybe we should go check out the model airplanes there because we were coming up short on how we're going to get a, we obviously weren't going to get a drone. And so how are we going to get this to happen? And And this is, this is in the middle of the shoot. So we're now, we're two weeks into the shoot shoot and we still do not have, we haven't quite figured out how we're going to pull off this, uh, this sequence. (laughs) Yeah. So we're two weeks into the shoot, but even more, this is on a Saturday. We're going to go see somebody, some people fly some planes at the show and we're shooting this scene on the following Wednesday. So we're four days away from one of the biggest production days. And, you know, if we don't have it, it becomes a slightly less heavy production day because we won't have to shoot this thing. And then we have to figure out how we get Charlie into the grain silos and how do we separate him and Nikki and, you know, all these reasons, you know, plot wise that we have this, this plane as well. So we go out to Hamburg and we're watching these guys fly these planes in competition and this one who is who wins has a particularly perfect size plane. He's flying it great. So I approach him once it's all done, um, and I introduce myself. And I'm pretty sure he thought I was crazy uh, at first. Like, what is this woman talking about? She's making a movie and blah blah blah. Like, what? Um, 
but he agreed to see if he could to meet with our prop master um, in the next couple of days after that and see if he could get enough uh, runway space to safely lift the plane up, fly it around and bring it down. Because, you know, even though it seems like there's all this open space between the silos, it's not a lot if you need some running space. So um, it all worked out. And then we got there on the day and, you know, we, our stunt coordinator showed Greg how to run and dive and what we were going to do. And, it was amazing, actually. It was one of those things where I can't believe we did it. <laughs> we did it. So A long, exhilarating day at yes. the Grand Elevator. I feel like I can remember it, like, moment by moment that entire day. It was, it was that kind of, like, yeah. you know, that intense. And now, a brief word from our sponsors. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. I'd like to say something about a new product I've tried called Calitrin. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calitrin is for healthy weight loss. I have taken Calitrin myself, and I can honestly confirm that I've lost weight, I sleep better, and I have found relief from a joint injury that I sustained in my arm. Calitrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age, and I am reaching of that age where things decrease. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply, and this week, take advantage of their President Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free, plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word BBS to 30605 and I'll send you a link to this special offer. Text the word BBS to 30605. Give Calatrin a try. I think you'll enjoy it and I'll talk to you next time. The history of the Popes of Rome and Christianity reaches into nearly every aspect of history. In the History of the Papacy podcast, we step over the rope. We dive in to discover more about the people, events, and background that define the influence of the Popes of Rome and Church, not only on the West, but the world. To start listening now, go to ParthenonPodcast.com or search for History of the Papacy on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, that definitely must have been a day to remember. Let's talk just a little bit about the dialogue, because the dialogue is so classic gumshoe and film noir. But I think that it was even raised up a level. Like there was an example where Borden Chase introduces Charlie and he's Mr. Pazinski as a genuine gumshoe in the tradition of Philip Marlowe. And then Charlie says, I prefer Mike Hammer and uh, board and chase says, even your idols are second rate. (laughs) Like all that, all those lines were just perfect.
was there any room for the um, people like Matthew Broderick to ad lib, or was that all pretty much to script because you had such a tight schedule? Yeah, it was all to script um, because we had such a tight schedule. Actually, I mean that's not only that; uh, it also and with a plot, such a plot-driven mystery it was so that's already in and of itself dense. We really didn't have a lot of wiggle room because it could be the line that gets ad-libbed is actually going to unthread this whole thing. So the actors were really, really respectful of the script in that way and really stuck to the words. And I mean, there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's some elements and scenes in the final film that there was more dialogue that we, you know, in the edit, you sort of start to feel like what's, what's moving the story, what's clogging the story, you know, so we stripped some stuff out. But these actors really learned a chunk of dialogue and in the kind of dialogue that, you know, is a little, you know, ever so slightly stylized here and there. And they just did such a great job really making it their own, but there really wasn't room for ad-libbing. There's some moments that within the moment there's a reaction or a look or a wink or something that, you know, that all the actors bring. I mean, they definitely bring so much in that way, but actual dialogue wise, they stick pretty to script, right, Greg? Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think one of the ways to approach the writing that always seems very healthy, especially if you're coming from an actor's perspective is to write characters that say things that you would love to say so that every part you want to play. So it feels like even, even, um, you know, characters that appear in in one small scene and have three lines to give them something. Um, I mean, every actor has been in that position where you're like, well, you're excited about this opportunity to do this shoot, but you've got, okay, you've got three lines. Gosh, I hope one of them is good. I hope one of them lands something. So, you know, even, even my friend Todd Benzin, who plays the, the doorman at, at, at the building in which um, we discover Robert Vaughn, um, you know, even in creating that scene, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Todd and what a funny guy he is and how, how his perfect sort of deadpan would make, you know, these lines work. And I want to make sure he gets something to say. And I don't know if it cracks anybody else up, but I always enjoy the fact that he, that he asks, he says, you know, Pazinski, I, I know a Charlie Bazinski, any relation? I mean, the stupidity of the idea that two people whose names sound vaguely similar might be related is to me fantastic. I mean, that sort of thought process. Um, and so I think with all the... All, yeah, that could still happen. Exactly. Exactly. Of course. And, it, and you don't even think about it. I shouldn't even say it's stupid because I, it's something I might say. Hopefully it's not stupid. It's just something, you, oh, that sounds, you know, you think small world. but. Um, I think for so many of the the characters, I think that's kind of the way we approached it. it was like, you know, you want to, you want to make sure that, and hopefully that's part of the reason they said yes to doing it, that they get to do, they get to say things like even your idols are second rate and things like that. So I, I, I think, you know, the, the script had to be written and adhered to kind of within an inch of its life because of, because of the time constraints. But as Jenna said, it's also the script is constructed in such a way that it's, 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 compl- it's very dense, very complicated. It's a little bit of a house of cards. If you pull one piece out, it's going to kind of mess up everything else. And, you know, and Jenna had to do this too with the direction. I mean, it had to be, she had to, you know, plot out 
how she wanted to shoot these scenes within an inch of their lives too, because we didn't have time to, to sit there on the day and go, well, what if we put the camera here? What if we put the camera here? She had to know going in, which is again, extremely difficult when you haven't had time with the actors, um, you know, and your crew is, is always trying to stay three steps ahead and everything is rush, rush, rush. So the fact that the set was coming together every day the way it was in such a calm way, in such a determined way, and that, you know, the, the, the team was really working extremely hard. Um, everyone felt like they had a stake in the film, which was great. And I think, I do think the lot, a lot of that is a credit to Jenna and how she runs her set. I think that's a big factor. Um, but there wasn't a lot of wiggle room for anyone to be, you know, get too far outside the box um, uh, for what the, for the planning that went into it, either script wise, shooting wise, it's just too tight. She has just like the lines in the script, there are certain shots that a shot might reveal something more than a line of dialogue. So uh, Jenna had to make sure we are getting every shot and every angle in a way that will tell that jigsaw puzzle of a story. Um, one other thing I wanted to add. Thanks, Greg. That was very nice stuff you said about me. Um, <laughs> I don't pay him anymore. Not now that he's not working as my actor, but I appreciate. Um, no, the the thing I was going to say about these actors, though, one other thing that was just so much fun is, you know, we've mentioned that a lot of the times where I was meeting them the day of, um, but they were all such, you know, consummate actors and so good at what they do. And I was so lucky because we rarely got more than three takes uh, of a scene. Right. We probably averaged out to about three takes. And um, certainly having Greg, like I said, as the anchor was huge because he was always totally present, totally on, just delivering Charlie phenomenally. And in, and in conjunction with that, these uh, actors, many of which had come from a theater background, they were so prepared and they had done some real thinking about their character but oftentimes on a first take, we'd, we'd get it. We'd get like amazing first takes. I know our, our other producer, uh, you know, he would look at me and just be like, oh, my God, you know, after a take because they would have done so great. And so it became every director's dream really is that you could then have, do another take and you could ask them to do something different or maybe lay into a particular line because, you know, we need to get that you know, that needs to be pointed up a little bit and it would be like easy peasy. We were never like searching for the character in at the shoot. And, um, that was so much fun actually, but also just a real gift in the casting. So I wanted to mention that. And the actors have been so support. Sorry to interrupt. I'm just thinking too. I mean, the actors, the other great thing is they've been so supportive of the film and that we've had, you know, we had, uh, you know, Camilla Bell and Robert Forster out at the, at the LA premiere. And we had, you know, Matthew and Alicia in New York and uh, Janine come and speak and uh, Robert Vaughn up at Woodstock and, you know, uh, Grant Shaw, you know, in New York and in Buffalo. And of course, actors from up there like Norm uh, Sham, everybody just so supportive of the project as it, you know, as the life of it, you know, kind of went out into the theaters as well. What are the challenges of shooting in a place like Buffalo that's obviously it's not really a huge film town? Was there something was it difficult to shoot, especially when you're doing such an aggressive schedule? Uh, it is it is not a film town yet, Stephen, but we're working on it. Um, 
I no, it was precisely because of the logistics of Buffalo that we were able to do what we did. So if we tried to make this anywhere else, we would have easily been a 40 day shoot, if not more. Um, the logistics there were so phenomenal. The film commission was so helpful, the police, everybody in terms of the different things you need to have that you're ready, um, you know, closing down streets if we needed to or diverting traffic or giving us access to uh, an area like the, you know, Colonel Ward pump station. Uh, everybody was just phenomenal. The, the doors that opened for us um, for locations, we just kept, I think, pinching ourselves. But logistics-wise, my assistant director, an assistant director in film really is the, the steward of the schedule. And they need to make sure that we're getting the shots we need when we need them so that we can make sure we have, keep our schedule and so that, you know, they know <clears throat> when trucks are unloading, when they're loading. They're, they're just the, the schedule brain of the whole operation. And I had a phenomenal one, uh, this guy named Matt McCluda. He's just fantastic. And he was new. He was coming up from New York City, so he didn't really know Buffalo in the way I had or do uh, because of this project. And so I remember coming down and looking at his big magnetic board of scheduling, and he kept saying, well, I just can't figure out how we're going to get this and this and this, whatever those scenes were. Um, and I remember saying, well, the good news is that the boat basin is just on the other side of the skyway from underneath the skyway. And he looked at me and he said, wait, what? And I said, yeah, we can just do a company move. And then, you know, Klein hands is just down the street from Buffalo seminary where we'll shoot this thing. You know, and he just, he kept, you know, he just, he ended up looking at a map and I would point out where things were and he was overwhelmed with joy, but also just shocked. He said, <laughs> we, we can just make that happen. And I said, yeah, there's not going to be traffic. We'll, we'll be able to make that work. And that became one of those things that really did make it possible for us to make these days. And then our location is, manager came out from Los Angeles, also not familiar with Buffalo. And he left begging. First of all, he left crying. He loved it so much and did not want to leave. <laughs> That's true. It's very I mean, true. He literally left he, crying. <laughs> he left crying. And he begged me to make a movie every year in Buffalo. He said, please, please, just, I have to come back. It, it, he said it, it makes him happy. It's good for his soul. People are wonderful to work with. It's a possible place to shoot in, you know. He's remained friends with so many of the, the people at the different locations, the Polish cadets. I mean, he's, it was an amazing thing to watch. This is the guy who on his, on his flight to Buffalo was saying, what the heck am I going, leaving L.A. to go to Buffalo for? What am I doing? And, uh, and never, I never wanted to leave. Never wanted to leave. And, you know, he works in Los Angeles predominantly, and he, you know, he's did it, got his, cut his teeth in New York City as a locations manager. And he's dealing, you know, doing Spider-Man or something where at 2 in the morning they're in downtown L.A. and the director decides that the place that they've locked location on, that building, isn't actually the building they want. They want the building over there across the street. So at 2 in the morning, locations manager, go make sure we can shoot there. It's like crazy. We can't do that. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> so for him, he just was so much enjoying the, the, the way everybody was opening their doors and being helpful and, and trying to see how they could help him in doing stuff. And the, again, the police force was wonderful. He said he was working with them was just so great. And the film commission. So the film commission was terrific. Yep. Tim it Clark, really was yeah, like, Rich yeah, Rich Wall and Tim Clark. It really was. The film is made because we make our day on our budget as an independent film because we shot in Buffalo. Yeah. But the other thing I'd like to add to that is that 
I say this all the time. Buffalo is Hollywood's best back lot. They just don't know it yet because you have so many time periods in the architecture. You have so many um, niche little neighborhoods. It's just there for the, you know, you've got East Aurora just down the way. I mean, it's just loaded and um, that whole Western New York region. So. And you see, you see it in other films. I mean, you see it in the natural and you've seen it in other films. But one of the things that we really wanted to do and we're really proud of is that in, in the American side, Buffalo isn't standing in for some other beautiful place, nor is it only representing, you know, the bleakest, you know, February day in Buffalo that, that one could possibly find yeah. so that everybody in the country thinks, oh, of course, this is Buffalo, this desolate wasteland. It's Buffalo as Buffalo in all its richness and, and color and um, some of it's very rust belt and some of it's very, you know, just turn of the century gorgeous, you know? I mean, there's so many elements. I mean, I think the new line, you know, you're asking about like getting from one great location to another. I think our line should be, you know, how do you get from one great location in Buffalo to another? You turn the camera around. And that's yeah. all, all we had to do in some cases was all, literally, literally turn the camera around. Yeah, it's true. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. I think um, it, this has definitely given people a little taste. You should go and rent this movie right now. It's available on Netflix and all the streaming services. It's a great movie to really see a great example of the film noir genre with that really uh the science fiction piece of Nikola Tesla, which never gets old. <laughs> well, thank you. I just want to really quickly give a shout out, speaking of phenomenal people who worked on the film, to David Shire, who was the composer for the film, also the composer for The Conversation and All the President's Men uh, and The Taking of Pelham 123, the great phenomenal David Shire, but also born and raised in Buffalo. Indeed. Another mm-hmm. Academy Award winner, David Shire. We're very lucky to get him involved as well, so... The Buffalo connections are, are, are all throughout the film. Yeah, and it's, we're looking forward to the next project we can bring up there. That's absolutely, for sure. absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. This yeah, fun. thank you so much, Stephen. I hope you've enjoyed this very special first of its kind beyond the big screen where I talked with the director, producers, writers, and actor from a major Hollywood motion picture. I am really honored to have the chance to talk with Jenna Ricker and Greg Stewart about their amazing movie. I'm especially appreciative of Jen and Greg spending their time with me. This was actually the second take, so to speak, of the episode, the first having some technical difficulties. This is the third and final episode in our series on Nikola Tesla in film, literature, and life. I really hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. I highly recommend you check out the movie The American Side. You can find it on any streaming movie service you prefer. It's just an excellent and really fun movie. If you have any ideas for shows or would like to talk about movies, especially this movie that we've discussed, there are many ways to get in contact. Two of the great ways to get in contact is always email steve at a2zhistorypage.com or you can join the new Facebook group by searching for A2Z History Page Group. And I will see you next time beyond the big screen.